Hi everyone, it's Matt, Matt Denault, pastor here at Christ Community Fellowship, gathering of believers that meet in Cardston, Alberta. Well, uh, this Sunday's message is a message that covers a, a larger passage of scripture, Exodus chapters 4, 5, and 6. And I would encourage you, uh, we read the passage all the way through in church this morning, and uh, I would encourage you as a family, if you're listening to this podcast, um, to uh, take a moment just to read those scriptures. And we'll refer to various passages within those chapters as we go through the message as you enjoy listening. So again, just if you would pause and read Exodus chapters 4 to 6, the message from this morning will be on those chapters. Hope you enjoy. God bless. Have you ever been told uh, by a friend, somebody that you know, that this place is awesome. They said, you have to go here. You will love it so much. Have you ever had that happen? Somebody gives you a really high recommendation of some place to go. Maybe it's a restaurant. They said it was really fancy or a, a, a tourist attraction. I don't know, some kind of a cool ghost town or something, and they just talked about how fun it was, the activities and the, the things that you could do. Um, maybe it was a hike, and they talked about what a beautiful view it was. But sometimes, sometimes when somebody gives us a really high um, recommendation, you, you go there, and when you finally go you're a little disappointed because it's maybe not quite as amazing as they said it would be or it wasn't quite what you were expecting it to be like. I kind of felt that way. We didn't really get a recommendation, but Shanae and I, we were in Clive visiting my parents and we thought we should take Caleb to the zoo. So we went to the Edmonton Zoo and nothing against the Edmonton Zoo, but it wasn't quite as exciting as I had expected it to be. So I was a little let down. You know, maybe that restaurant that they said was so fancy, you go there and they serve you overcooked food. Or you go to that tourist attraction and it's so full of people, all those fun activities they said you could do, trying out what it was like to live in the Old West. Well, it was so crowded you just couldn't enjoy it. You, didn't, you had to wait in such long lines, you didn't even want to stick around. Maybe that hike that they said was a beautiful view, well, you went and you got there, but uh, what they forgot to tell you was that it's a two-hour drive on dirt roads to get there, and then it's a three-hour hike up a, up a cliff that's uh, so steep that you feel like you need climbing gear to get up it. I don't know if you've had an experience like that. But in each of these cases, our expectations shape our view of what that experience is going to be like. 
And in a similar way, our expectations will shape what we think about God and his ways, what we think about God and even his plan of deliverance and salvation and rescue in our lives. And today we're going to learn, as we just read from the scriptures, about a time when God's way of deliverance looked different than his people thought that it would. A time when the way to the top of the mountain, to that beautiful view, that hope of deliverance, wasn't quite what they were expecting. We already read the scripture, so I'm, I'm going to pray just a moment. Father God, we pray that you would open our eyes to see um, our world from your perspective, to see our own lives and the struggles that we may face uh, in light of the deliverance that you have promised, a deliverance that we can trust is sure, Lord, that you have come. To save your people. And so Lord. We ask again that you would open our eyes. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We. Left off. Last week on. A high note. God. Has said that he is coming. To save his people. He has come to Moses. He has revealed himself to Moses. In Exodus chapter 3. And he has declared that he is sending Moses to be his messenger. As we continue on in Exodus chapters 4 and 5 and 6, we will see that deliverance didn't come the way Israel expected it. Deliverance wasn't quick. It wasn't easy. But the outcome was secure in God's hands. God's way may look different than ours. Deliverance may not come at the time we expect, but deliverance will come His way. Today's passage begins in Exodus chapter 4, and chapter 4, in many ways, takes us down from this mountaintop high that Moses has experienced of God revealing himself to Moses. We might think that Moses would be ex excited, but he was still not convinced that he should go, that he should be the one that God would send. In verse 13 of chapter 4, he even asks God, please send someone else. We talked last week about how he was looking to himself and not to the Lord and who he was. And in many ways, we see that continue in chapter 4 in spite of all that he has seen and heard. But God is gracious. Moses' reluctance doesn't stop God from being faithful. In fact, a part of God's plan for deliverance was that Moses, this man who has doubts, this man who says, I'm not eloquent, 
would be the one to whom God, through whom God would bring deliverance. It was going to come his way. And God was gracious. He gave three signs to Moses. He sent a helper, Aaron. He had sent him ahead of time. He said he was on his way. So he sent Aaron along with Moses to proclaim his message and to perform the signs before the people. And God is gracious. He is faithful also in that he tells Moses his plan again. By this point in Exodus, that's the third time that God declares his plan and intent to deliver. We see that in the first 10 verses of chapter 3. We see that again in the latter half of chapter 3. And now again in Exodus chapter 4, 21 to 23, God says, and I will read, The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. This time God highlights that Pharaoh is not going to let them go. Not at first. It wasn't going to be instant and it wasn't going to be easy, but it will happen just as he had declared twice before. Redemption is going to take place God's way. And so at the end of chapter 4, Moses and Aaron go to the people of Israel and they speak to the Israelites and we read in verse 29, Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people and the people believed and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction they bowed their heads and worshiped isn't that wonderful praise God that they they believed that they worshiped can can you only imagine Moses surprise at this point here he's been so reluctant, so unsure, and the people believe, and they worship God. And we can imagine the people's joy after so many years hoping for deliverance someday. And now God, through Moses, declares that deliverance is at hand. And Moses, through Aaron, declares all the words that God spoken to him. It's a very hopeful note to end on. Redemption is at hand. That's where we would end the story. That's where God would come down, rain down fire, take Israel away. But then we, we come to chapter 5. And Pharaoh does not listen. In chapter 5, verse 2, Pharaoh says, Who's the Lord that I should obey him? I will not let Israel go. He is firm on his 
his way of doing things. He's not going to let them go. Pharaoh does not recognize the power or the authority of God. In his eyes and in the eyes of the people of Egypt, he was God. He was the master of the Hebrews. The one who decided when they would eat, when they should drink and rest and sleep and work. And I don't think it was mostly sleep and rest. It was mostly working hard. And Pharaoh does what threatened masters often do. They tighten their grip. He made life much, much harder. Commanding them to gather their own straw so that they had to gather it from the stubble that was left in the fields. Brick making was already hard work. It was backbreaking work. It was dirty work. And they were given hard tasks to do, a, a big quota to accomplish. And now that would be even harder as they had to gather the straw, the stubble, and make the same amount of bricks. But Pharaoh isn't interested in making more bricks. That's not his goal. I'm sure he was delighted to have an opportunity to put them to work harder, but it really wasn't producing him more. It was producing him less. Pharaoh was interested in crushing all hope of deliverance. He was interested in reminding them that they belonged to him. His goal was that they would give up hope in God and return to their slavery. And it certainly seems that Pharaoh has the upper hand as we go on reading in chapter 5. And the Israelites, they've gone through this for two days and they haven't met their quota and they're beaten. The foremen are beaten. And they cry out to Pharaoh in verse 15. Let's read 15 through 19. Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, and yet they say, Make bricks. Behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle. You are just idle people. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. When deliverance doesn't come, the Israelites turn back to their master, Pharaoh. They... It's interesting how many times they call themselves his servants. They, they want him to make their lives better and they're willing to serve him for it. But Pharaoh is a hard master. They put their hope in the wrong person. The wrong place. 
And when Pharaoh won't help them, they become angry with Moses and Aaron. They take it out on God's servants, saying in verse 21, You have made us stink in the eyes of Pharaoh. You've given him the sword. He might as well just kill us. That's the idea of that imagery in verse 21. The Israelites respond to disappointment by seeking relief from the one who enslaved them. They sought their master Pharaoh hoping for things to get better, and it did not. When deliverance doesn't come the way that we expect, where do we turn? That reveals who our master is, to whom we give our service, whom we trust. Now Moses... Moses is upset. Things are not turning out the way that he wanted either. The people now blame him. And so Moses turns to the Lord. Verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you even send me? Verse 23, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Moses questions, he does not understand what is going on. But there is a difference, I believe, between Moses' response and the people's response. We can see very clearly in who they turn to. In their pain, Israel turned to Pharaoh. But in his doubts, Moses turned to God. And he called him Master. He called him Lord, even, even as he questions, even as he acknowledges, you haven't delivered. It's not turned out the way that, um, that you said, or at least that he, he thought the Lord had said. The Lord responds to Moses who turns to him. The Lord always does. He responds to the cries of those who turn and trust in him. Let's read Moses or God's response to Moses in chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. We need to hear this message again and again and again. The Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. 
I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. God's message hasn't changed at all from chapter 3. He will set out to do what he has said he would do. And the proof that the Lord gives is his name. Yet again, he reminds them of who he is. Yahweh, the sovereign God, who has called these people into a relationship with him by his promise received by faith. God says, I am the Lord. I have heard. I have remembered seven times, he says in this passage, I will. 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 He will deliver. He will bring them out of Egypt. He will bring them into the land he had promised. God has not changed plans in spite of the way that things looked. In fact, God was sovereign even over the defiance of Pharaoh. He had said in chapter 4 to Moses in verse 21 that I will harden Pharaoh's heart. He said, I will, he will not let them go. And so it was. And though Pharaoh's goal was to crush Israel, and his goal was to keep them in bondage, to get them to turn away from their God, their deliverer, God's goal was to redeem them even out of Pharaoh's heavy hand. If they'd only listened to all of Moses' words the first time, they, they might have known, they would have known that this would happen. If they had only listened, they would have known redemption would happen and it would happen in God's perfect timing.
But in chapter 6, verse 9, people again respond. And it says that they did not listen because of their discouragement and hard labor. They looked at their circumstances and it was not the deliverance that they wanted. They did not believe God anymore. They had high hopes. They had heard God's word, his wonderful promises, the proclamation of his name, telling them who he was and what he had come to do. But now in their troubles, they were not thinking about deliverance. They couldn't see any hope for deliverance. They were focused on survival. They were focused on this world and the troubles that they faced in the here and now of this world. So that instead of trusting God and his promises, they chose Pharaoh. Much like the rocky ground in Jesus' parable of the sower, Israel rejoiced for a little while at the word of God. But as the hot sun of Pharaoh's wrath beat down on the seed of God's word in their hearts, they withered away and that hope died. They had trusted God when deliverance seemed easy. It seemed imminent soon. But when it came time to take up their cross, they went back to Pharaoh. They could not see God's way of deliverance. And even Moses is wondering at the end here. He's given up on ministry in many ways. He's still turning to the Lord. He's still asking why. But even as the people have given up and Moses doubts, God isn't finished. Chapter 6 ends with Moses' questions, and I end there because sometimes that's where we are in life, with a whole lot of questions. And it's good to ask those questions, to ask them of the Lord, to seek Him, to know that God has the final word. The story isn't over. God continues to deliver in his way. And his way may not be quick and easy or look the way that we would want it to look. But I want you to know that the outcome is secure. The outcome is secure because God has promised it and he is faithful. That view at the top, at the end of the journey, is beautiful. The hope that we have is wonderful. It is sure. Deliverance is is better than, than we could imagine, and sometimes we need to look up from our troubles and remember the hope that we have. But along the way, 
it may be hard. The desires of the flesh wage war within us. The pressures of the world lie without. We will be tempted to turn away from God. To find an easier route. To seek hope elsewhere. Even to perhaps run back to the masters that once enslaved us. Even to the very desires of our heart. The sin that so easily entangles us. As Paul, or Paul, as the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it was, spoke about in Hebrews chapter 12, running the race. But if we take the time to see the Lord, we will find that he is faithful. When we look at God's character, when we look at his promises, when we look at his track record, the way that he has worked in this world through his word, when we see God compared to our present circumstances and our fears, there is great hope. God has always been faithful. Surely he's going to be faithful to us now. And best of all, as we look to the Lord and what he has done, we can know that Christ has brought deliverance through the cross. We don't have to wonder anymore. Deliverance has come. The apostle Peter once doubted God's way of redemption. He could not see how the cross was the way to life. Didn't understand how life could come through the death of the Messiah. But years later, he writes many wonderful assurances of the work that Jesus has done on the cross. And we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, that Christ himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He died taking that punishment for our sins that we might die to sin, he says, and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Peter understood that God's way of deliverance was through Christ's death on a cross, that he died. Not the way of deliverance that we should suspect. The world says that the message of the cross, it seems foolish to them. This is the way that God brought deliverance. So that we would live a new way. So that we would die to sin and live to righteousness that we live His way. 
involves sacrifice. It involves giving our all to Jesus, counting the cost. Now, what it means to take up that same cross that Jesus bore, that we would follow in his footsteps and run the race, that he has won the prize for us. You can trust his way of deliverance. The way of the cross. I would invite you to stay after church just to reflect on some questions for application. As we think about our expectations of deliverance and what the Lord has promised in Jesus Christ. Look forward to that time to grow together. Deliverance will come. It will come His way through the Lord Jesus Christ and His death on a cross. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. The prayer of Paul for the church in Thessalonica. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen.